It is good to be together. I am excited uh, for what's to come this morning. We have some exciting things on the horizon as a church. Uh, God has just blessed and brought us to such a beautiful place. We're so honored to be here. Have you ever been called out? It doesn't feel good. Have you ever been called out by someone? Uh, years ago, I was leading um, a young adult ministry, and we were doing an event at, at someone's house, and I volunteered to take care of the kids, right? And so I'm sitting at the kitchen table while the rest of the group is doing their Bible story, study or conversation and, and fun time, and uh, the kids and I are sitting there and coloring at the table, and um, and. I thought I was, I thought I was winning. I thought I was doing this all right. You He's know? really good at coloring, guys. Well, there is some trauma in my life that revolves around coloring. Now, in fifth grade, I was uh, assigned a, a group coloring project with two other girls in the class. And I didn't know there's all sorts of rules to coloring. For instance, you're supposed to stay inside the lines. You kind of darken the edges. You color in one direction on any given object. I didn't know any of these rules. And apparently, I totally botched this coloring job because I remember them chewing me out. Okay? So now, years later, I'm an adult. Surely I've healed from that traumatic fifth grade experience. I'm sitting at this table uh, coloring with, with little kids. And uh, as the Bible study or whatever they're doing finished, uh, they, they walk into the kitchen there where we're sitting and coloring. And they start looking at each other and kind of laughing. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and they said, you colored all of those crayons the wrong color. You know, and I said, no, I was, I was really careful about this. Because you were coloring a picture of like paint tubs. A box of crayons oh, was the crayons. picture. And I was coloring it, you know, the red one red and the green oh, okay. one green. And I, and I was pretty sure I had done this exactly right. They come in and they start laughing at me. And I got defensive at first. Remember the PTSD I experienced from my fifth grade uh, experience. Well, as it turns out, though I had shaded it properly and I'd done a really nice job, uh, I had not recovered from the color blindness, you know, that I also had as a fifth grade color. Um, so they gave me, I mean, they, they, I felt so defensive. Like, I don't know why in that moment it's the trauma from my past. Because you worked so hard. You I were thought, trying so hard. Like, this time I'm going to nail the colors. I thought I had done it. Despite our best efforts, sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we don't do things right. Today we continue uh, um, in the life of Moses, a series in the life of Moses, and we explore a moment in which he's called out, and for good reason. So we've been in Moses for a few months now. We've been in, in the book of Exodus, and God has called a very reluctant Moses out of the out of a burning bush and say, "Hey Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to lead my people out of slavery." And Moses at first is very reluctant. I'm really not sure I'm the right guy for this, God. But God convinces him, sends his brother Aaron with him. And he goes to Egypt. And, and we've read the stories, the difficulties that they had in communicating with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh over and over said no, then said yes, and then said no again. But God worked powerfully through Moses and through Aaron to demonstrate his power over all the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh, who was considered a god. And so the Israelites came out of slavery, came out of Egypt and began traveling in the desert and they encountered some big things. Um, the army came after them and God miraculously led them through the Red Sea, protecting them. 
they, they were traveling in the wilderness. They ran out of water. They ran out of food. And God again shows up over and over and provides for the Israelites. And so now where we're at in Exodus 18, the Israelites are camped. And it's one of their last stop before they, they reach Mount Sinai, before their big encounter with God, where God gives them a bunch of instructions. And so they're, they're, they're camped there. God's providing for them. They're actually attacked by the Amalekites, and God again provides and protects them from that attack. And they're still camped there, kind of regrouping, kind of, kind of waiting and figuring out, okay, what's next before God moves them, um, in the, in, in his pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. So Moses' wife, Zipporah, has traveled back to, uh, visit with their father, uh, who lives in a nearby region while they're camped out in this place. Uh, and now as she returns, her father, Moses' father-in-law, comes along with her. So our text today begins in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all about the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved him, saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. And he said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians in a Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of the Lord. All right, so Moses' father-in-law, a man named Jethro, is a priest. Now, we don't know too much about this man Jethro, except that in this region, a number of different gods were worshipped, and so he was likely a priest that led people in worship of one of those gods. In this text, I find it a little bit curious, reflecting on Moses and his experience with the gods of Egypt and whatever god uh, Jethro is a priest of. Keep in mind, as Moses begins to lead the people out of Egypt, uh, he is 80 years old. The first 40 years of his life, he lived in uh, in Egypt in an Egyptian household, in fact, the Pharaoh's household, uh, where all sorts of gods were worshipped in Egypt. After that, he moved for 40 years into the desert region region of Midian uh, and and married uh, the daughter of a priest of another god and religion for 80 years of his life. Now, as an Israelite child, he likely knew of the god of the Israelites, but I find it curious how much experience had Moses had with the god of Egypt prior or uh, the god of Israel prior to uh, having encountered God at that burning bush. And now we find this moment when this priest of Midian, his father-in-law, comes to Moses and is going to begin to correct him. And Moses, first of all, tells his father-in-law, here are all the things that God has done. Here's how we've seen God work. And Jethro, his response is, wow, wow, now I know 
that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is greater than all the other gods. And so he comes to believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel. He comes to believe in God and worships God. He offers sacrifices to God, which was part of how they worshiped God at that time. And I love this because we've, we've spoken to this point multiple times throughout this story, how God's purpose was to demonstrate his power over the other gods in, in the miraculous signs and the plagues and bringing the Israelites out the way God chose to bring them out. His purpose was to demonstrate that he was God over all the other gods. And as Moses shares this story, as Moses remembers and articulates and tells someone who wasn't there, hey, this is what God has done for me. This is what God has done for our people. What's the result of that? Jethro then comes to believe in God. And I love I love this because it speaks to the power of narratives. And we all have a narrative. We all have a story. And as we share our stories, we get to remember God's faithfulness and how God has worked. And as we share those stories, then people will come to see God a little bit, a little bit more each time. Verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Uh, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a d dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So Moses, as they're regrouping here, he's serving as judge. And his father-in-law sees this. The whole day, he's resolving disputes. There's a huge line. And at the end of the day, there's still a huge line. And so his father-in-law asked him, why are you doing this? And I love Moses's response. Pretty much he says, because it needs to be done. <laughs> because they came to me and, and it needs to be done. And so I'm doing it. And I, I love this. It speaks to people's personalities. You know, there, some of us, and I'm speaking in generalizations here, but some of us are really big picture people. Uh, Micah's more of a big picture person than I am. You can see like the, the big picture, what's going on. He can zoom out easily. Others of us are really focused on the details. And I wonder if Moses isn't a details person. He's like seeing the immediate needs, however overwhelming they are. And he's like, I need to do this. I can really relate to Moses here because I'm a details person. And so when I see all the things that need to be done right in front of me, my first thought is just, let's just do them all. <laughs> and Jethro comes to Moses and, and, and he's saying, wait a second, this, this isn't. This isn't good. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. 
Teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That way, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So Moses has been called out by his father-in-law. In humility, he's able to hear it. Um, but his father-in-law says, just flatly, plainly, what you are doing is not good. And I can imagine Moses had an opportunity to respond in all sorts of different ways because, in fact, what he's doing is necessary. Uh, Settling these disputes and taking care of the people in the way that he is, it must be done. And yet Jethro says, what you are doing is not good simply because you're doing it in the wrong way. And I love, I love this comment for two reasons. First of all, it's coming from Jethro, the, the, a priest of Midian. And I love how God speaks to us in all, from all these different people. And especially from people who view the world differently than us and have different experiences than us. This is who God chooses to speak to Moses through. May we be a people who really truly listen to those who have a different worldview than ourselves. And we see that in this story. So Jethro speaks, or God speaks through Jethro to to Moses, and he says, you need to do it differently. Select men, capable men, train them, teach them the Lord's decree, and then release them to lead in this way. Release them to judge these disputes. And Jethro says it'll be good for you, good for Moses, because you won't have to carry it alone. And it'll be good for the people because they'll be satisfied. The job will get done. Not only are you empowering people to, to use their giftedness and to lead in, in the ways God has, has blessed them. You're empowering people, but also the job will get done because you're only one person and you can't do it all. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father away, uh, father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So how does Moses respond to his father-in-law? He hears him and he follows through. He puts the advice into practice. You know, big picture here is that the Israelites just came out of Egypt and all they've ever known is slavery. So they haven't had a government for themselves. They haven't had a court system for themselves. Like this is all new for them. Moses and Aaron have been their direct leaders. And yet here we see the beginning of a broader leadership structure being established, specifically with their court system, with, with the judges. And, and at Mount Sinai, once they get there, God will give them further instructions for to how to run this nation, Israel, as a theocracy. But for now, God is starting with this little bit, the, the court system, 
enable people, put people in place, and don't do it all by yourself. I see in Moses great humility. Um, Power often uh, affects people in incredibly negative ways. Uh, We cling to it or uh, we strive for more of it. Uh, People are manipulative in the ways they hold on to power when they have it. And yet I see in Moses a very different response. When he's called out and says, the way you are leading is not good, it has to change. I see humility that enables him to restructure, to, to let go of the defensiveness that could have reigned in this moment, and instead to lead out in a godly fashion, saying, we can and we will do this differently. As we reflect on this passage, I want to ask us to think about our, our personal lives and where in our lives are we leaders? Because I would venture to say that all of us lead in some way, right? In our families, in our friend groups, at work, wherever it may be, whether, whether you consider yourself a big leader or not, we all have influence, We all lead in some way. So I'd like to ask you to think about the areas in your life that you lead and how this story might apply to that. One of the things that that I'm reflecting on is that leading well means that we must recognize both our capacity and our limitations. Like, what has God gifted me with What abilities and talents and resources has God gifted me with that I can lead with, that I can lead out of, that I can use in my leadership? And also, what are my limitations? Because we are all human and we can't do it all. So what is mine to do and what is not mine to do? And sometimes we have... Or I should say, I'll speak for myself. I have an overinflated sense of self, and and it doesn't come across quite as arrogance. It just comes across as this this burden. Oh, I have to do it all, or it won't get done. Like I'm indispensable, and and reality is no, <laughs> not not so much. That God has had gifted me and given me the abilities and capacity to do some things but not all things. And that's why we live in community. So I want to invite us to reflect, how is God inviting me to to lead and live within my capacities and within my limitations? What has God invited me to do and be? What is God inviting me to relinquish and to let others And how is God inviting me to recognize my limitations and rest when it's time to rest? So individually, there's application. In looking at the life of Moses, a man humble enough to really explore what does it look like to live well. Now, as a church, we have opportunity to learn from this text and throughout Scripture about what does leadership look like. Now, I know that um, since we began church planting some six years ago, um, many of us have come to this church with some hurt, right? Sometimes we use the term church hurt. That is, we've had past experiences in churches that have left some wounds, like my fifth grade coloring uh, wound. Uh, we have some I of those... I feel like that hasn't been healed. You've brought it up multiple times I felt today. like I need to lighten the mood. I mean, church hurt is a heavy subject to talk about, and yet many of us have experienced those hurts, and many of them because of leadership structures in place. Uh, we have been a part of some really healthy 
to faith communities and some really uh, painfully broken uh, leadership models and communities. So today we want to talk a little bit about organizationally as our little church that God is uh, blessing here in Pasco, Washington. Uh, what does safe and healthy leadership models look like? And, and as we begin that, I want to go back in time just a little bit. Uh, for those of you that are newer to this gathering, which is really more than half of us coming out of pandemic and buying this new building, um, we began church planning about six years ago. Uh, God uh, placed on our hearts uh, um, just a dream, a vision for a faith community in which belonging came first in all our diversity and all our walks of life to explore who is Jesus and what does it look like to walk in his way in the 21st century. Uh, naturally, uh, we began very small. Um, it, uh, we raised um, from friends and family my salary for one year. Uh, I was the only one on staff. We began to build teams, and they were small leadership teams, but diverse as they could be. Uh, from the beginning of our church, we've been egalitarian in our posture. That is, men and women serve equally in the church. So men and women would always be on our leadership teams. We we tried we strived for diversity generationally. That that people of different perspectives and experiences in life would sit together and have conversation about what does it look like to lead this church. In time, as a part of that egalitarian expression, uh, Sarah came on staff as a co-lead pastor. Uh, throughout our time in uh, the Vine Church, we've wanted our leadership teams to outnumber us, that our vote not be the primary one, but instead that other voices uh, are, are prominent in this journey. Um, we were a small but growing church meeting in a school for the first four or five years of our journey. Uh, we had actually determined um, as a leadership team and some of our uh, search committee teams and other teams that were working in the church to buy land and to build. And the week we were going to roll that out for the congregation is the week COVID shut down churches and schools. We were without a place to meet. We went a year before we bought this building, uh, meeting online. Our leadership teams continuing to meet on Zoom. Of course, we all burned out on Zoom. You remember that season, right? Um, but we did our best to maintain before God gave us opportunity to buy this building. And, and, and here we are now. And so the question, what does it look like in this next phase of the journey to continue to be committed to safe, um, organizationally sound, models that invite the voice of a diverse people to listen to God and to speak into what's happening in a church. Well, first we celebrate. We celebrate what God has done. We remember, you know, the, the, the journey here, and I'm so thankful to be in this position, to have seen the, the growth and experienced this journey. So thank you for being here. That's a big deal. I just want to celebrate that. God has blessed us with this growth, and with that growth comes the opportunity for leadership, an opportunity for leadership structure. As Micah said, more than half the people here today have joined us post-quarantine, um, and so it's exciting, this part of the journey. It almost feels like we're, like we're not a new church plant, but in many ways, we're a new church plant. We're, we're starting over with a bigger core group, and we're still getting to know each other, many of you. I'm still working on names and others. You know, we're, we're, st we're starting to get to know each other a little bit more. So we want to invite you we want to invite people who, who consider this their church home um, to play pivotal roles in our church leadership, 
to really think about what it means to be a part of this group and play roles in our leadership. Our vision is for a community of people to work together, just thriving together as a a community as we participate in what God is doing in our neighborhoods all around us. I feel like one of the safety mechanisms that has to be put in place in churches uh, is to decentralize a single voice from being the lead, okay? And this has played out in so many mega churches, and we've seen the fallout and, and the face of Christendom in the news currently because so many organizations, church organiz- churches have been built upon single dynamic leaders, right? And so one of the goals of these leadership structures that we're going to begin to talk about today and understand this is going to take weeks and months and years of conversation as we continue to roll this out. But one of the central ideas is that we decentralize Sarah and myself and that multiple voices are heard and and, and lifted up in this church. It's kind of the story of Moses. Jethro comes to, to him and he says, you should not be playing all of these roles. We've got to decentralize you and use the talents, the gifts, the abilities of a community to find a thriving and hopeful community. So about a year ago, we brought in a leadership consultant asking, what does it look like to put healthy models in place before a season of growth that that is coming here in this new community? We brought in a leadership consultant and we analyzed organizational strengths and weaknesses and we begin to dream about what could leadership models look like. We we begin to envision uh, a new sort of leadership model that is not uh, unique to our church, uh, but we are incredibly excited to be engaging. So after this year of these conversations with this leadership consultant and process with our current leadership team, we are excited today to roll out our new leadership structure that will allow us to grow, that will be able to increase our capacity in what we can do here in this community. And it will allow us to invite more people, you guys, more people into leadership and provide clear and empowering structures. So our current leadership team has envisioned this three-pronged leadership model. And we'll look at this Venn diagram. And I know you won't be able to read all the words probably from where you're at. And we have printed copies of these out in the lobby. You're welcome to pick one up if you'd like to look at it in more detail um, at the end. But we have three... um, leadership teams, three branches of this structure. We have ministries, vision, and operations. So the ministries teams, you'll see, uh, we have grouped both uh, ministry that takes place within the church and ministry that takes place in our community under this. Uh, it's things like developing our community partnerships, small groups that happen, uh, Vine Care that is caring for people in our church as they need, uh, Vine students and Vine kids for our children and our middle school groups. So there is the ministry aspect of the church and leading well. Uh, different leaders will uh, play roles in, in gathering teams and working in each of those. And then there's the operations side. There is the reality that both on the federal and state level, we have, uh, you know, a, an entity to run and to be kept up. Uh, there are there's budgeting and there's tithing back to our community. There's care for the facility. There's dreaming about what will God do with the four acres that we own that we're surrounded by. Um, so these, these are more the operations conversations that'll take place. And then there's a vision team. And this ensures cohesion between the other teams. It would be easy for those to be islands apart. Uh, but the vision team uh, both enables and participates in the activities of the ministries and operations team to ensure a cohesion 
he's of nature, nature uh, and is also the central place in which we dream and, and pray about and seek vision for what is the big picture, what is God leading us towards, what kind of ministries are we adding, how are we growing and developing, uh, what happens next with our facilities to enable the things that the ministries are doing to function well. And as I look at this, and as I look at the ministries and the operations teams listed, I recognize that the only reason we're able to put this up here and dream about this is because God has already brought to us such amazing leaders who are already doing so much of this. So many of you have stepped up and gotten involved, and I just want to recognize you right now and say thank you for how you have just jumped right in. Some, some of you, in fact, have, you know, just joined us in the last few, few months. And so I want to say thank you to Kevin and Steve for the working on the community garden. That has been amazing this year. Jamie, who's done the hospitality and the events. That has been amazing. Sue, who's just now next week starting off nursery for the first time. Ethel, who's said, yes, I want to be a part of Vine Care. I want to take care of people. I want to say thank you to Amy, who's jumped right in with the Vine Kids and done a, ph- a phenomenal job. Erica and Micah, who've worked with um, the youth group, Vine Students. Sally, who's now doing worship. And Craig, who's done finances and that's that's a thankless job like he's led that team and that's been so good so thank you for the people who are leaning in and who have helped so much in these areas so while many people have been involved in many ways, uh, we believe this next, this next step in our, this next development in our leadership processes is going to enable, uh, room on ramps for new people to be involved in new ways to create healthier structure and a healthier church and organization. So, uh, this next diagram I'm excited about for uh, a couple of reasons. You won't be able to read the details of this, but again, it's in the lobby. And, uh, this is a living document. It will be different next week than it is today because this one's growing and moving quickly. Uh, This describes some of the people and uh, contact information uh, if you would like to volunteer on or get involved in one of these teams. Uh, There'll be pictures so you can recognize people here in the uh, as as you're here at church. There'll be email addresses so you can contact them. Um, But you'll be able to see with this document um, a number of things. First of all, you'll see uh, a number of duplicate images up there, right? Uh, people playing multiple roles. This won't always be the case. We dream of new people stepping in and, and taking on leadership in different aspects of the church. You'll also see that there's some gaps, some blank spots, and uh, some of those are already in conversation. Some of them are yet to be developed. There's a lot of room for growth. Now, I will say this represents only phase one. Um, as As you get online and as we build out the website with this new information, you'll see that we've identified, envisioned uh, quite a number of teams beyond this. This is what we're going to try to dig into first. Uh, This is what we're going to pour most of our attention and effort into. However, as God provides people with passions and invites them to engage in new ways, uh, these lists grow. So 
Today we want to invite you to be a part of this process. We want to invite you to, to prayerfully consider where is God calling me to use my giftedness um, in Christian community, in at this church, where can I step in? And maybe it's in a participant um, capacity. Maybe it's like one of these teams, hey, that intrigues me. I want to learn a little bit more. I want to help out on that team. But maybe it's in a leadership role and say, hey, I want to be the team lead. I want to help coordinate um, this area of what the church is doing. So please, in the in the coming weeks, prayerfully consider what are your God-given passions? What are your strengths? What, where does your heart just kind of say, oh, yes, that's that's what I want to be a part of. This is an invitation to join in community, a thriving community in which we're all working together, walking alongside God where God is working in our neighborhoods and in our midst. So you're invited, maybe joining a team, maybe leading a team, or maybe, like Micah said, starting something new that's not on here yet, but but the Spirit's been working on your heart. Like, we, I want to do this, and we want to walk with you in that. All right, so as we wrap up today, uh, I want to ask this question. What will the tone of this next step be? Uh, Moses demonstrated for us humility. Secondly, may this entire process be bathed in prayer. Uh, So will you pray with us as we dream about what do next steps look like? What doors is God opening and and how can we engage individually and as a church in new ways in each other's lives and the lives of this community? For the next few weeks, you'll hear us do a briefer version of this and talk about the the overall picture of leadership uh, each Sunday. In October, we plan to hold uh, some conversational meetings over here in the sunroom after services, and, and that'll be one way we get some feedback and conversation. Uh, we we want to hear uh, what you have heard and, and uh, where your heart lies in this and where your concerns lie in all of this. Those are going to be really important things. In fact, as of today, we want to invite conversation and feedback. Like, I want to I wanna hear your feedback. Email would be a great way to do that. Uh, so if you want to email me, you can send that to Sarah at the vine.church. Okay. I would love to get your emails. Because I want to hear from you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. Uh, I'm so excited to get that feedback, to have these conversations. Where is God leading us? What comes next? And how is he inviting us into his beautiful work in this community? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of invitation that you are a God of love and grace. And Lord, we acknowledge just right off the bat that we are so not perfect. (laughs) And yet, you love us. And you have called us to walk alongside you because you want to work through us, not only in our families and in our lives, but Lord, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. And so right now, we say yes to you. And we ask that you would give us wisdom, both individually and as a church, wisdom as we embark on this new journey of, of, of creating these new teams and leadership structures and meeting together and having these conversations. Lord, we ask for your divine guidance. Holy Spirit, may you speak loudly and may we hear you as you speak to us. Thank you for the ways in which you love us and call us to join you in your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Friends, thank you for being here with us. After services, I'll remind you there's uh, some new materials and uh, images out here in the lobby, so please uh, engage those. Uh, stick around, have conversation. There's coffee and cookies. And finally, don't forget the community garden out here is thriving. And on Sundays, we ask you to grab a bag, pick that, and use produce uh, throughout your week. Friends, thank you for being here, and have a blessed week.